All right, I want to start this morning by reading to you a story that Scott uses in Build that I believe is going to give us a great picture of the importance of the care of our hearts. Now, this happened back in um, 2009, but I think it is, it's so helpful. So the headline in the newspaper read, Indian baby born with heart outside chest battles for life. A four-day-old baby born with his heart outside of his chest is battling for life in a Delhi hospital after an incredible dash across India to save him. I think his name is Viba. Was born in a remote rural village in India. Was rushed by 24-hour train 800 miles to the capital by his desperate father leaving his wife behind because she just had a C-section. He and his father-in-law traveled to Delhi to, sa- to try to save the child's life. He suffered from a condition known as ectopia cordis, which causes the heart to be abnormally placed outside of the body. Most babies die within hours of being born. Now, thinking about that story, The biggest challenge for this baby was his own heart. Something went wrong in his development, and his only hope was for the doctors to get his own heart back inside of him. Now, there are interesting similarities and divergences um, for us as we look at this story. So spiritually speaking, let's look at the similarities. Just as with the baby, our greatest challenge, spiritually speaking, is our own hearts. That baby's greatest challenge wasn't his parents, it wasn't his home life or his environment, it wasn't the fact that he was born in a very poor village and he would live in poverty. No, his problem was his heart. And that's our greatest challenge as well. Our greatest challenge is not our upbringing. It has nothing to do with our wealth or our status, but rather it is our hearts before God. Not our physical hearts that pump blood, but our spiritual hearts before God. Now, let's look at the major differences. The baby's physical heart being on the outside was causing major problems. God says Our spiritual heart on the inside is causing major problems. Another difference, whereas the baby's only hope was to get his own heart inside his body, our only hope is to get the heart that is in us out and to get a new heart in. And God has provided a new heart for us through the cross of Christ. Now, everyone in that baby's life was focused on one place, his heart. Okay, They weren't concerned about his height, his weight, the color of his eyes. No, they were concerned with one thing, his heart. Ladies, we need to be entering into a lifestyle, if we're not already there, where we are constantly concerned with the heart. Primarily our own. 
not so that we become myopic and are self-focused, but because we must understand the true condition of our heart in order to appreciate what happened at the cross for our sinful hearts. We need to see and become convinced that we cannot live a life that neglects our hearts. And so we must come to the word. Has your heart ever been cold and unresponsive? I know mine has. What warms and softens our hearts when we're in that condition? His word. And so we must come to the word and meet with God there. We must pray as we are reading his word and ask him to teach us so that we might understand what he wants to reveal to us about himself in it. So if you haven't yet, I want you to take out your note-taking outline. And if you didn't get, get them yet, they're in the back and there are two pages. Okay, when we begin teaching each of the three disciplines, we're going to start with a biblical survey. Okay, in our survey on the heart, we're going to walk through the Bible. So if you look down, you're going to notice the bold categories, the questions that we're going to be answering this morning about the heart. In each category, each question, we're going to start in the Old Testament, and then we're going to walk through the New Testament. The reason for that is that scripture was unfolded progressively. God revealed to Moses exactly what he wanted his people, Israel, to have. What they needed to have in order to have a saving relationship with him. But as we know, he built on that in the New Testament. And so we're going to walk through these subjects in the way that God has set up in his word. Also, I think it might be helpful for you to know up front that what we are looking at today, remember this is a survey, is a broad picture okay, of what God is telling us about the heart. Our focus today is not to focus in on the details. Okay, we're going to look at a lot of verses, and we're going to do our best to let those verses speak for themselves. The point is not to introduce confusion, okay, so you need to be patient. But rather, I want you to feel the impact of verse after verse after verse as we read them this morning. Hearing what God tells us about the hearts. Because when we feel that impact, that reality, what Christ has done on the cross becomes more and more precious. Our hearts. So let's look at that first question, number one. What is the heart? When we talk about the heart, what do we mean? Okay, the heart is the inner life. We have the outer man, which is the physical part of us, and we have the inner man, which is the heart. The heart is the inner man. It's you, it's me. It sums up who we are, spiritually speaking. Everything inward is our heart. Okay, the heart is the place where God reveals himself to us. The heart is the part of us that is addressed by God. And it is the seat of doubt and hardness as well as faith and obedience. 
Heart and mind really can be used synonymously. So every word, every thought, every desire, our will, our emotions, our deeds, all of those, everything comes out of our heart. So if the heart has been enslaved by sin, the whole man is in bondage. And because corruption stems from the heart, it is there that God begins his work of renewal in his people. And because conversion takes place in the heart, that means it affects every part of us as well. When God changes us, he changes our heart, he changes all of us. So again, when we say heart, we're talking about us, not just a part of us, but we're talking about who we are at the very core. So therefore, it's the, it's the focal point of God's evaluation of us. When we stand before him, he is not going to neglect our hearts. Does this give you an even better idea of why we chose Proverbs 4.23 as our theme verse? Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's go on to question number two. What is the condition of the human heart? Now we're going to see that it obviously is devastated. I want you to turn to Psalm 40. We're going to look at verse 2. This is a psalm of David, chapter 2, and let's look at verse 12. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. What we need our hearts to do, they have failed to do. Our hearts have failed us. Notice the list that he makes in verse 12. He talks about evils, he talks about iniquities, and then he moves on to his heart. Would you have thought to include your heart in that list? We need to see it that way. The condition of our heart is very clear. It has failed us. Now let me turn to Proverbs 20, verse 9. I'm going to go through through these pretty quickly because we got started late this morning. Who can say I've cleansed my heart? I'm pure from my sin? The answer is obvious. No one. Our stain is so great, we don't possess what it takes to cleanse it, to purify it. We don't have it. So the answer to the question, who can cleanse the heart, is no one according to God. So I have a heart that fails me, and I have a heart that is beyond my ability to cleanse it. Now let's go to Matthew 15. And look at verses 1 through 20. I'm not going to read all of them, but let me just give you a quick overview. Okay, in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes are concerned, of course, not about themselves. They're concerned about the disciples. The disciples are not washing their hands before they're eating bread. 
And in verses 7 and 8, Jesus responds to them and says, here's the problem. You, Pharisees and scribes, honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They're not even concerned about the heart. It would be as if the doctors in this story that I read to you this morning who were caring for that baby were more concerned about the color of that baby's eyes than they were about his heart. Okay, now look at verse 15. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the what? Heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile man. Jesus is telling us that there is a source of defilement, of corruption, inside of us. The heart is the source that defiles us, that makes us impure. Let's go to Romans 1. We're going to look at verses 20 through 21. Again, we're moving through the Bible, looking at what God has to say about the condition of the human heart. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So from the very beginning, God has made it clear that he's revealed himself in creation. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. What is proof of our foolishness? It's this. Even though we knew something of God, we had no intention of honoring God at the heart level. So, again, here's what we've seen so far. We have a heart that's failed us, We have a heart that's beyond our cleansing. The source of defilement within us is our heart. And our foolish heart invites even greater spiritual darkness. That's what God says about our hearts. Now that's a huge problem. So let's look at question number three. Is my heart aware of this problem? I need to turn to Deuteronomy Chapter 11, verses 13 through 17. By the way, as you're turning there, did you know that Deuteronomy mentions the heart 45 times? When was the last time you read Deuteronomy? If you haven't, you have missed 45 windows of opportunity to look at your hearts. We don't want to miss that. That's why we want to read all of the words. Let's look at verse 13. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commands, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, 
that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Under the Mosaic Covenant, there were blessings for honoring the Lord from the heart. Okay? There is a relationship between obedience and blessing and a fruitful life. But listen to what comes next. Look at verse 16. <coughs> he says, Beware at that time that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods. That tells us that our hearts are easily deceived. And you see, did you catch when they are easily deceived? When they are at their best. When they are following after God. Stop and think about that. That's a sobering thought to me. I hope it is to you. Let's go to Jeremiah 17 and look at verse 9. A very familiar verse. Listen to what Jeremiah tells us about the heart. He uses some pretty strong language. It says, The heart is more deceitful than all else. Not just deceitful, as if that's not bad enough. He says it's more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What, here's what Jeremiah really is encouraging us to do. He's saying make a list of everything that you can find that's deceitful in the world. And nothing could beat the heart out of the number one spot. If you're going to make a list of deceitfulness, you need to put the heart at the very top. It's that sick. It is beyond our grasp. We can't even understand its condition. It's worse than we think. We saw in Deuteronomy that our hearts are easily deceived even when they're at their best. And now we see in Jeremiah that the heart itself is the most exceptional deceiver. Now let's look at what Romans has to say. Let's move into the New Testament. We'll continue to answer that question. Is my heart aware of this problem? Here in Romans 16, Paul finishes out his instruction to the, his letter to the Romans by saying, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. Why? Look at verse 18. Such men are slaves of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. If we are unsuspecting people in the church, that means if we are unguarded, if we lack wisdom, and there are troublemakers that come into the church that we are naive to, our hearts can be easily deceived. And again, remember, that's when we're at our best. Even the people around us in the church 
can deceive our hearts. I want you to turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26. We'll finish out this section. <coughs> if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. If I think I'm religious and I have no control over my words, it's evidence that I have deceived my own heart. So to answer the question, is my heart aware of the problem? The answer is a resounding no. How can I be alert to my heart's own devastation? When my heart is surrounded by and vulnerable to, it's and filled with deception. So in question number two, we saw that my heart fails me. My heart is beyond my own cleansing. My heart is the source of my own defilement. My heart is foolish. My heart invites greater darkness. And then in question number three, we saw that our hearts are easily deceived even when they're at their best. They're the most exceptional deceiver. My heart is deceived by others. As we just read in James, I can deceive my own heart through my worthless religion. And that brings us to question number four. What is the highest call of the human heart? Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. This is a repeat of Deuteronomy 6. Jesus takes that summary command of what the law was all about, and he repeats it for his disciples in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 38. Now, one of the Pharisees is among those that are in the crowd who heard Jesus' teaching, and he asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? In other words, he's asking, what is the highest thing a good Jew like me should be all about? And Jesus answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. That is the highest call of the human heart. To love God. So, Let's see if we understand this. Okay, your heart, my heart, that has failed me, that's beyond cleansing, that is the source of my defilement, that foolishly invites spiritual darkness, that is easily deceived even when it's at its best, and is also an excellent deceiver. My heart that can be deceived by others and by me, and that is the most central part of who I am before God, is supposed to love God? That heart is supposed to love God? Now, I don't know about you, but that leaves me thinking, are you kidding me? And did you notice it doesn't just say love God, but it says to love him with all of our hearts. Doesn't that leave you wondering, God, do you know what you're asking? My heart is so low 
And God, what you've called me to is so high. That leaves us asking the next question. Number five, does God see this predicament? Now we're going to skip over the first two, and we're going to um, look at 1 Kings 8. So I want you to turn there. Solomon has just finished building the temple. He's dedicating the temple, and this is his prayer of dedication. Let's look at verses 38 through 40. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, focused or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hand toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all of the sons of man. God alone knows the hearts of all people. God definitely sees my heart, and he sees your heart. In fact, he's the only one who sees it. So yes, the answer to this question is God does see this predicament. I want you to go to Proverbs 24. We're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 12. God sees the need of our hearts. He's the only one who sees it rightly. Verse 10, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the heart? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? See, God is making it clear here. You see people in need and you say, we didn't know this. That's a deception. They did know it. Not only is God weighing the heart, not only is he testing it, But he is weighing it so as to repay, to render to us according to what we do and what we don't do. So yes, he sees the predicament. He sees our hearts and he sees it for the purpose of repaying. Now let's look at Jeremiah 17. And uh, we already looked at 9, so we're going to look at uh, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. When God says, I search the mind, I test the heart, he's not saying two different things. He's saying the same thing in a different way. 
he makes it clear that he misses nothing when he sees us. And when he speaks of giving to each man according to his deeds, he's not talking about a broad, impersonal repayment where there's just a general repayment to a whole group of people. Okay? No, that's not what he's saying. He comes, he evaluates, he weighs, he repays. And then he moves on to the next person to evaluate, to weigh, and to repay. Let's go to the New Testament. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, Paul um, had a lot of problems with the Corinthians seemed continually so. But a lot of the problems that he had had to do with how they regarded him, okay? what they thought of him, and how they treated him. Let's begin in verse 3. But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, Yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Notice Paul is not acquitted because he can't see anything wrong in his own life. It is the Lord who examines. It's the Lord who discloses the motives of men's hearts. See, Paul is saying, I understand the scripture's analysis of the hearts. The heart deceives Though I may not see anything wrong in my heart, though I don't see accurately what's in my life, it doesn't mean that I am clean before God. But the Lord will come and disclose the motives of our hearts. So does God see this whole predicament? The answer is yes, he does. In fact, he is the only one who sees it as it truly is. And he searches the heart for the purpose of repayment. Now, unfortunately, our time is up. And so you'll need to wait until next week to get to the rest of the lesson. I don't think you're going to want to miss next week. I know this doesn't seem like a very good place to end. Doesn't seem like a good place to stop here, does it? But in some ways, I think it is a really good place to stop. I think it is far too easy for us to say, Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know my heart is deceitful. And not stop and ponder and really take in what that means. We need to stop. And think about the condition of the human heart. We need to ponder the fact that our sin.
sinfully wicked heart has failed us, that it is beyond our own cleansing, and that it is the source of defilement, and that it loves spiritual darkness. But I'm not going to send you off without hope. We know the gospel. We talk a lot about shepherding our hearts with the gospel. It's a part of our wellspring purpose, right? And that is exactly what ending here ought to drive us. It must drive us to do. To look at Christ's work on the cross. Because it is the only place to go when confronted with the depravity and the deceitfulness of the human hearts. So take some time and ponder this lesson. Feel the weight of it so that more and more the cross of Christ becomes the place where you flee. The only place where you seek hope and joy and comfort. And we need to be giving that hope and that comfort to one another. Maybe you'll find that in your small group this morning. So let's stop and let's thank him for that hope and that joy and that comfort that he gives to us at the cross. I want to pray for you as you go to your small group, as you go and minister to the children and to one another over at Wellspring Kids. And I also um, want to remind you that your small group leader has some questions that they're going to go over with you this morning. But I hope you got the homework in the back for next week. Next week we're going to go over at least the first two questions, so have those prepared. And then the following week we'll finish up. So you'll have two weeks, but make sure you get started on that. So let's pray. Father, this has been a sobering lesson to look at. But I thank you that you are faithful to reveal to us the truth about our wicked hearts, about how they have failed us, about how they are beyond our own cleansing, that they're the source of, the, of defilement and left on their own, that they love spiritual darkness. But Father, thank you that it doesn't end there. Thank you that we do know the gospel because you have revealed that to us in your word as well. Thank you that when we are confronted with the deceitfulness of our hearts, we know that we can flee to the cross knowing what you have accomplished there. And Father, knowing that that's where we Receive hope and joy and comfort in your work. Father, I pray for each lady as they either go to small group time first or the Wellspring kids, Father, that we would continue on in the conversation about what we've learned about our hearts this morning, that we would remember to encourage one another with the truth of the gospel that we would bring the gospel to the li- these little ones. And Father, that you would continue to teach us throughout the week 
until we come back together to hear the rest of this lesson next week. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray.